Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And hello, Naomi. This is Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at AEI. And today we are very excited to be joined by Brian Conrad. He's a math professor and director of undergraduate math studies at Stanford University. Thanks so much for joining us, Brian. Glad to be here. So uh, we decided to ask you to come on to talk about California's math frameworks. Um, and this has been a subject that you have uh, taken up a lot of your time with over the last couple of years. I guess it started maybe around 2021 or so when the state released the first draft of the California math framework. And you decided to delve into the thousand or so pages of what was contained there. Um, so can you describe a little bit of what you found and why, uh, as a professor of math, uh, at Stanford, you were so concerned? Yeah, sure. So uh, the first draft came out in you know, around summer of 2021, maybe a bit before then. And I, I first heard about it in the summer of 2021. And this was in connection with other news I was seeing at the time about all around various places in the country where it was being advocated that people should skip learning Algebra 2, uh, the usual third-year high school math course, in favor of so-called data science classes. And um, I knew that the ones that existed, particularly the most popular ones, had fairly light mathematical content. And the irony being that if you didn't learn Algebra two and you took those classes and you tried to go to college and get a degree in data science, it would be impossible because those degrees actually require Algebra two, learning calculus in college and, and so on. And anyway, so that was very strange. And so then I looked into this document, the draft at that time, uh, I saw strange assertions with citations, and I noticed the few that I looked at then, the citations didn't claim what was being said. And I noticed a wide array of, of other assertions that were clearly nonsense. And then I kind of let it sit. And then when the next version came out, uh, I had a spring break, and I decided I would just read the whole thing. And that's the one I read in detail in the spring of 2022. I found zillions of misrepresented citations, all kinds of hype and misinformation about data science, other advocacy that was being made that struck me as very, even if well-intentioned, very misguided. And uh, I felt that I should put out my public comments on this because at that length, and particularly with its uh, bloated writing and disorganization structure, probably very few people, if anyone else, was going to actually read the whole thing. And so I hoped that from my position here, it might be able to have a constructive influence on the subsequent revisions. Some people go out, go to the beach on spring break and you decide to read math. <laughs> you definitely yeah, appreciate yeah. that. I, I like reading, but that was uh, <laughs> that was certainly a challenge. Yes. Well, Brian um, is a number theorist, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could you talk just just a minute first about um, this idea of data science? Because I think a lot of people outside of the field of math, uh, you know, think it sounds uh, really interesting and like um, that's a smart thing for you to study. And I think people have sort of made the case that it's a kind of more relevant way to study math. Um, sure. What is data science in actuality, you know, if you were going to study it in college? And what is the sort of substance of the course that uh, people were advocating you? take maybe instead of algebra two? Sure. So data science is, one might say, a kind of um, upgraded version of traditional statistics course. Um, so it's it's a field that involves both statistics, uh, a lot of math, and computer science to study massive data sets and try to extract useful information, whether it's Netflix trying to predict the next movie that you may want to watch, or Amazon making recommendations, or 
AI systems and so on. Cities use large amounts of data to do all sorts of things that are very striking. I mean, ChatGPT is a particularly remarkable example. In any event, um, so of course you can use a lot. Look, I drive a car. I have no idea what's going on under the hood. And uh, certainly not claim that to use the outputs of data science, you need to know what's going on down there. But if you're going to pitch a data science course and tell students that this is a good path on the career to becoming a data scientist, then you had better not be using that as a mechanism that actually is an off-ramp from getting the background you need to pursue that kind of college degree. That's the essence of the concern. And just to be clear, having data science courses in high school is great, just like high school economics courses, but one has to be cautious about how they're being represented. And yeah. that's, that's really the primary concern. I mean, data science, frankly, the math classes in general, teachers could benefit from getting much better material helping kids to see the relevance across many contemporary contexts. And that's, of course, one of the traditional challenges in teaching mathematics is this very powerful tool. And yet many kids, if they don't have an intrinsic interest in it, may not see the purpose. And so people may be easily misled into thinking that because of the rise of computers, that many traditional math topics have somehow become obsolete. But in fact, people who use quantitative methods to do new things know that the language of mathematics, algebra, functions, geometry, and so on, remain just as essential as they've always been. And that's the part that kind of gets lost. And so people, it may sound trendy to think, well, I didn't know what that high school stuff was for, so my kid should take this other class instead. But first of all, they don't have to be in competition. Maybe you could take math and a data science class. Right. And separately, if you're gonna to wanna to pursue those degree options in college with a four-year degree, you really need this knowledge. Otherwise, you're going to have tremendous challenges to catch up and finish college in four years in those directions. And lastly, I should say that there's a kind of equity angle thrown out about this where people say, oh, the demographic outcomes in the usual advanced math is so problematic. These courses, the grades are so much better. Students are happier. Well, of course, the courses are much easier, right? But the outcomes at the end, nobody sees the invisible roadkill at the college level when the kid gets there and suddenly can't pursue a degree that they may have wanted to in these jobs and you know that are more secure have higher salaries right. college degree is not supposed to be a google analytics certificate yeah that was such a great term invisible roadkill i was just going to ask before we dive further in why the framework is so off off the rails can you just have our listeners what is the proper progression of math from eighth grade through high school well, to really ensure that students are best prepared for college. Just ground us in that. So um, so let me say two things, that co colleges may sometimes pitch themselves as wanting to keep all major options open to all students, okay? Now, other places may not feel that way, and they may say, we're going to admit you, but certain options are cut off. So I guess I'll answer your question from the perspective of if you want to retain access or reasonable access to all possible majors. Because certainly there could be plenty of people by the middle of high school, they're convinced they don't want to have anything to do with more math, but then they may discover later, right? Oh, I want to do video game design and poof, right? Well, actually you need to know, you know, trigonometry or whatever it may be. Anyway, so I'll answer it from that point of view. If you want to keep all the options open, if a parent wants their kids to have all these options open, then if you would like to reach calculus in high school, then the only sensible way at present is to do algebra one in eighth grade and then progress on geometry, algebra two, or there are, there's another version of those three called integrated math. 
uh, which is reorganizes the material. And then after those three, traditionally pre-calculus and then calculus. Now, one thing people should be aware of is that even though calculus was invented by Newton for the purpose of physics, and you know before recent decades was most used in physics and engineering, nowadays, artificial intelligence with its use of optimization, machine learning, data science, these fields are very far from physics, rely crucially on the tools of calculus if you want to actually do anything creative with them under the hood. So, so the traditional courses, the core content of them remains the essential foundation. It can certainly benefit from an upgrade in how it's presented, the context and the motivation that students are shown for the value of the material. And certainly putting some statistical topic into the curriculum is great, but the current curriculum also happens to have in some sense too much in it. So what to cut is a little bit of a tricky decision, um, but generally speaking, the core material that's been taught over the past decades remains the essential foundation for access to four-year degrees across all quantitative fields, even economics, for example. If anything, you're saying it's become more relevant to have those skills uh, than less relevant, thanks yeah. to- Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, and another thing I think is important to keep in mind is, you know, the college degree, like the kids are aiming for the jobs, you know, eight, 10 years down the line. Right. And so people who point to statistics about, oh, you know, 10 years ago, look, it was, you know, these were the most popular thing. But if you look at the, the majors that attract the most interest, they tend to be becoming more quantitative. And at the very least, you know, if you want to say have a well-rounded high school education to then make your decisions early in college about what you want to do, the usual math sequence, at least through algebra two, really remains the essential knowledge to keep those options open. So tell us about what happened when you put out your public comment and sort of the reaction that you got um, from policymakers and also kind of where uh, the rest of academia stood on this question. So when I, I submitted my public comment uh, on this, this was like some 100 plus pages, 170 pages of material. And uh, to their credit, the, the revision process did, in fact, address many of those concerns. There was a proposed data science pathway which was strongly opposed by even the leaders of the data science majors across major universities in California, that was excised from the final version. Most of the citation misrepresentation, the ones that I caught, those were almost completely removed. There were some others that I hadn't caught that were still in the final version. Um, the advocacy for data science as an alternative to algebra two was toned down a lot. The advocacy against eighth grade algebra one, uh, the document is kind of on both sides of the fence. So I would say that a lot of the concerns were addressed but on the one hand, other places in the country were already feeding on it. They were saying, oh, look, this document says this, or because the first version had promoted San Francisco's uh, banishment of eighth grade algebra one, you know, Cambridge, Massachusetts, right? And other places were, were, were proposing these bans. This has taken off all across the country. Connecticut is now proposing the same. Um, but the San Francisco experiment was a total failure. So that was removed from the next draft. And it's not mentioned in the final version, but the phrases about common pathway through 10th grade and blocking eighth grade algebra one, it's still in there in certain places. So districts who would like to follow this fake equity policy can point to it and say, there's our state justification. Hopefully you we'll remove this from the final version that gets sent to districts. This remains to be seen. Can you actually talk about the San Francisco experiment? Because the framework is not just theory, a big chunk of its ideological philosophy was actually implemented. So what were the results in San Francisco? So, so there are a variety of ideological things uh, in, in the CMF. Uh, but the one that was particularly rolled out in San Francisco has to do with this idea that 
The demographics in the uh, outcome for more advanced math in high schools were pretty disturbing. And the question is, what do you do about it? Now, one solution, one attempt would be go to the actual root cause, the disparities that open up in the elementary grades, and put more resources in the elementary grades and help more kids <laughs> be ready to actually access eighth grade algebra one and achieve those, achieve those conclusions. But the preferred fake solution is, uh, which is pure optics, is let's banish it from eighth grade under this fantasy that by putting kids with wide levels of interest and prior preparation to the same classroom, then magically it'll bring up everybody. But of course, what happens in the end? If you have a ninth grade class in which a chunk of the students, because they went to outside the public schools for extra learning, they already know the material and being forced to take this class. Of course, the results will be much better because you have a cohort of students who have learned all the material. And then people will point to it and say, oh, look, this has improved the results. In any event, so San Francisco has done this for 10 years. And were the equity outcomes improved? Not at all. The outcomes in the advanced math did not achieve what was claimed. The superintendent acknowledged this in the board meeting, that their approach is not working. And finally, things are turning around. There's more pressure in San Francisco to stop this nonsensical experiment. Yeah. So I wanted to just turn for a minute to um, to Caltech, which announced that, that that it would allow students who did not have access to these more advanced math classes because of presumably these policies um, to still qualify for admissions. But they kind of created this alternative pathway for those students. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about Caltech's you know, acknowledgement of these uh, realities, unfortunately, and kind of what they did in response. So maybe I should make one clarification, which is the, the more typical uh, difficulty with respect to Caltech is that this, many schools simply don't offer advanced placement courses. So even if they're not blocking acceleration, they may not have a teacher who can teach AP chemistry or AP calculus, for example. And so Caltech's concern was if there's a kid who has tremendous passion for science and has been learning all that they can, but their school simply does not offer calculus or does not offer uh, AP physics, for example, um, which Caltech, because of the nature of the school, was expecting as an admissions requirement that you did that in high school, um, which I should say, by the way, is very different. There are highly selective schools. They don't have calculus as an admissions requirement. They actually teach calculus for students who haven't had it in any event. So Caltech said, if you teach it to yourself using Khan Academy, we have set up with them a mechanism for assessment, proctored exams online that you can take to demonstrate your mastery of this material. And if you do that in time for your application, they would accept that in lieu of the AP exam. And this was an example of what I would call it's real equity in the sense that it doesn't close the options, doesn't affect anybody who had certain opportunities, and it opens up the door to students who didn't have that option otherwise. Now, of course, it's a very challenging alternative because you kind of have to learn it yourself. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, Caltech has an extremely tiny student body. Um, so they're only selecting extraordinarily talented students anyway. So perhaps for them, that is a somewhat more workable option, which wouldn't necessarily fly at other many other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I thought actually it was a, a kind of a clever strategy to find the diamonds in the rough, you know, kids who are in high schools. But do you have a concern that it it reduces the pressure? Let's, so let's say other colleges started doing that. Does it reduce the pressure on high schools to actually offer uh, the kinds of advanced classes that no, they that, should that, be doing? That's a good question. The reason I think it doesn't is because I think even, um, how to put it, I don't think 
anybody would regard the idea that, oh, just teach yourself calculus um, as, as a realistic option. And I think there would be tremendous pushback from the parents if the district said, we don't have to do this because, you know, it'd be sort of like saying 20 years ago, if the district said, oh, the kid can just read a book, you know, and that's just not real. I mean, of course, there's a tiny percentage of students who can do that. But I think most districts recognize that this is really only a viable option for the kind of student who could get admitted to Caltech. And even at other highly selective universities, it's not typically a realistic option for most students who may have interests in those directions. But it is an interesting sort of, as you said, kind of an alternative approach to equity here, which is that if these colleges, even the selective ones, are trying mm -hmm. to sort of figure out how to make up for deficiencies in the school environment of yeah. the students who are applying, you know, are there sort of these alternative pathways for them? Maybe it's not just math. Maybe they can read a number of books and right. they can sort of take these proctored exams online yes. or classes um, that would allow them to bypass some of this stuff that people think are sort of keeping them out of these more selective institutions. Right. So I would say, first of all, you know, certainly even in math, like this doesn't have to be just calculus. Right. So you could have a kid who goes to a school where maybe the teaching was really bad. Right. And and so having some mechanism where they didn't offer even courses below that, having some mechanism to perhaps self-learn some other things uh, does at least provide, again, for some set of students, provide some kind of option that, that didn't exist before. So it's definitely, I'm sure, going to be quite valuable in a variety of directions. Now, of course, you know, public policy should not be set based upon the needs of these highly, highly selective institutions. But regardless, the point is that if somebody calls what they're proposing as pro-equity, doesn't make it so. And that's certainly been demonstrated amply in the context of some of these proposals coming out of the California math framework. I was just going to ask, uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, so many of these other districts are citing the original draft of the frameworks or San Francisco's um, example. Um, do you sort of, if you had to kind of think about where the the country is or kind of where the state is, do you think that the tide is turning against some of these more, as you say, sort of fake equity proposals? Are people sort of waking up to what the problem with them is? Or do you worry that a lot of the country is just going to go further down this road at this point? Um, it's it's very hard to tell. Um, what I've what I've seen and from talking to people have heard for example, I say like when Cambridge, Massachusetts recently banned or proposed to ban eighth grade algebra one, and now in Connecticut, they're proposing to cram the usual first three years of high school math into two years under a nonsensical fantasy proposal, claiming it will you know achieve all kinds of wonderful goals. Um, they're getting tremendous pushback from parents um, and from people at uh, at universities. So I think at least awareness is it's happened in Virginia. The parents successfully pushed back against it. So um, I think there is more awareness getting out there that some of these proposals are really not what they seem and the claims are really not going to be realized. Um, the, the challenge is that they have to convince the district administrators to actually listen to them. And in a variety of places, you can have some people who may not understand enough about how math works and how it actually feeds into these future careers and may not fully grasp that some of these proposals, which may sound, for example, like, you know, algebra two is irrelevant to my life, but data science sounds good. So my kids should take that um, just to have people be more aware that, again, if you're going to go into some direction that's not quantitative, it may not matter much. But to be aware of what is being cut off degrees in economics, 
and data science itself and these other fields. So I think that awareness is growing and that may hopefully in time uh, lead people to uh, stop proposing these, even if well-intentioned, rather misguided ideas. I mean, it seems like at the heart of the framework too is this idea that the very idea of some students being able to accelerate is inherently leads to inequity. And so therefore we have to sort of balance that out. And well, first of all, do you agree with that? That's part of it. And why is that not a valid concern? So, so it certainly is the case that if the only route, for example, let's say, okay, we accept that having calculus in high school does open up earlier opportunities in college, right? That is a benefit from it, even setting aside the college admissions angle. Um, and so if the only route to get there is eighth grade algebra one, then, you know, there is a little bit of unfairness in the sense that kids' interests evolve over time. And to do eighth grade algebra one often involves in practice a certain level of extra learning of material in seventh grade. And so one may feel that, uh, well, you know, we need to somehow open the door to students who weren't necessarily identified with having those interests that early. And so what kind of approach should we take? So the point is the idea that, well, we should just simply block it because you don't like the demographics of who's in those classes, that's of course pure optics because we know what will happen, right? The families with resources will simply go to Russian School of Math or Kumon or Art of Problem Solving, one of these other sources, and they'll still get that. And so it's not gonna really help the students who totally depend on the public school. So really what should be happening is the schools should be coming up with alternative paths to that end goal, whether it means some doubled up period, uh, I'm not, you know, I don't really have a great proposal for yeah. that. Uh, but the point is that there are, you know, very serious concerns about how kids are being identified. Maybe being chosen for eighth grade algebra one should be allowed to just be parental specification, right? Maybe it shouldn't be solely the decision of the teacher, right? And so there, there might be a variety of ways to try to improve things, which don't have to involve this idea that we just block everyone and believe in some fantasy because that doesn't work. No, and I think a lot of districts, uh, you know, that that do allow, uh, that do have still maintain algebra one and eighth grade actually still do allow the parents to, you know, even if a teacher sort of makes a recommendation, you know, allows the parents to sort of override that and say, well, I still want my kid there. But yeah. obviously, this also depends on a certain round of parental involvement and parental education right. about what is going to be required down the road. I did like uh, in your in your Atlantic article uh, you compared, I think, uh, data science to uh, the classes that were being offered in high school to to music appreciation, which is nice, but it's not the same as learning the violin. Um, right. And I think that, you know, saying that to people, I think, would would probably go a long way to helping them understand, you know, what the difference yeah. is between being equipped to go into a career in data science uh, versus taking one of these classes that might, you know, expose you to some of the great right. things data science can do. Right. And I should mention, like one example uh, in the direction of what Ian was sort of asking about, one one kind of nice idea that I recently heard about in Dallas, Texas, that they've implemented is the default is that everybody would go into eighth grade algebra one. And in order to not be put in there, you need to bring a letter signed by your parents saying they don't want you to be in there. And that has mm. led to tremendous improvements in the demographics of who is succeeding in eighth grade algebra one. So I don't know the full details of that policy. That's interesting. But that certainly, and the fact that it has this demonstrated 
improved outcomes, at least in that initial class. I don't know how it how it plays out in the in the more advanced courses that come after that. Um, but that's an example of more creative thinking. You know, and again, I mean, there there may be a variety of things, but this this sort of you know holding people back under the delusional belief that this is going to lead to better outcomes, one would hope that the total failure in San Francisco will put this ridiculous idea to the end once and for all. So what happens now, though? So this version has passed. Yes. There's still these concerns. Yes. The framework is out there. So what happens what in California or elsewhere? What happens in California specifically? Oh. And then what happens elsewhere? Yeah. Okay. So in California, I think what's going to happen is um, pretty much nothing is going to improve. Uh, I sort of see the document as a lost opportunity uh, in a variety of ways that I can discuss, but there's not, it's it's lacking in a lot of actionable details. So I think it will largely have very limited effect and the uh, poor proficiency results will more or less stay as they are. That's my expectation, simply because there are no serious new ideas being advocated in this. You know, it could have pushed for more resources into the elementary schools, math specialists, for example. Um, it could have, uh, you know, there's a whole chapter, which is the guidance that publishers must adhere to for their materials to be state approved in grades K through eight, which is necessary for schools to use the materials. There could have been a, a huge amount put in there about the necessity of the course materials, including more engagement with contemporary applications, more information about the value of the material and how it can be useful, even if you don't get into the details of that. And there was almost no discussion of that. So the course materials aren't gonna improve. The kids still won't see the value, for example. Um, and so in effect, overall, I think, uh, yeah, it's just gonna be four years that were spent on a document that is not going to improve the situation. Um, the data science hype was dialed down, but it is still there to some extent. So that may still keep spreading around. Maybe people will create a better data science class. That would be good, um, but it remains to be seen. So in California, my expectation is things will stay at the same uh, unfortunate level that they're currently at, more or less. Which, by the way, is only about, a, I think, only about a third of Californian kids are doing math at grade level. Is that right? Yeah, somewhere around that, or maybe slightly below that. It's certainly, it's a very concerning situation. Um, but as I say, the, it, you know, people say, oh, this document is a thousand pages, like this is overwhelming. The previous framework was 900 pages. And it's not, I mean, of course, the length is is a bit heavy sounding when you first hear it. But the real problem is it's so disorganized. The 900 page thing, if you only cared about fifth grade, it was obvious from the table of contents where to open it up and see the, you know, 20 pages on fifth grade. This thing, it has just stuff all over the place. Fifth grade here, fifth grade there. You know, it's, and it's just, it's very badly presented. So I think it's going to be hard to navigate for parents. And it's very unfortunate what happened in the end. But I think in the end, the effect will be fairly muted, which itself is unfortunate in California. Well, we'll, we'll all need to uh, take our spring break to go over the whole thing. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Brian, for joining us today and for your work on this. Uh, we appreciate your, your standing up for standards and for kids here. So this has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? You can get episodes of this podcast on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, I am Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I'm Ian Rowe. Brian, thank you. You've done a great service for the country. Thank you very much.